Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Level Up Human, the comedy science podcast souping up the homo sapien. Hello, welcome to Level Up Human Extra with Rachel Wheelie and Simon Watt. Hello, Simon. Hello, I am currently sat down in my kitchen, rather excited. This is, this is sort of a new format for us, I suppose. We did a Level Up Human Extra in the past, but we were kind of debating uh, news stories a bit more. We had well, brought long ones each, but now we're being a bit more fast, reactive, and trying to respond. So, um, where are you right now, Rich? Uh, I'm I'm at home. I'm just just sitting in my kitchen. Where are you? With all of your excellent recording equipments conveniently far away from me in my kitchen, where I'm sitting with a cup of tea and a copy of the Guardian in front of me. Nice. And we've got a, a story that we wanted to bring you. Uh, the headline of which is: Scientists use stem cells from frogs. To build first living robots. Yes, and is that not the best thing ever already? Is Terminator not that bit better? Absolutely. Living robots made of uh, African clawed frog stem cells. Yeah, so the African the African clawed frog is a really, really cool frog. It's kind of the biologist's go-to animal. Like, I know we all love fruit flies and we all love uh, mice and rats. And there's a kind of plant called Arabidopsis. So they are the kind of main models. But the other one is the African clawed frog. Um, it was originally used in a sort of like a test for pregnancy. Um, if you added the urine of a pregnant woman, then within a day this frog would lay its frog spawn, and as a result it spread all over the world, and biologists have been using it ever since. It was one of the first vertebrates sent to space, I think. I think it was the first vertebrate cloned. Uh, incredible thing, and now they're making machines out of them. Yeah, which is uh, incredible. I didn't expect the first uh, sort of xenobots, as they're called, to be made out of organic matter, but they are. Can you tell us what a xenobot is? Um, so xeno is kind of a Greekish word meaning other or stranger or something. If you like the alien films, you know they're xenomorphs, so other types, I suppose, if you translate that roughly. And if you think of like xenotransplantation, which we've covered a lot in the podcast, it means just transplantation from an other being. Uh, but the, the reason why I care about this is because this is biology nanobots, right? And that's just one in the eye for the physicists and the chemists, which is the only reason I do biology in the first place. <laughs> to get one in the eye for the physicists and the chemists. Yeah, but it, it is a genuine, really cool thing, because the whole point of nanobots is they are nano, they are tiny, they're able to go off and do jobs. 
And nanotechnology is one of those things a bit like, I don't know, maybe nuclear fusion, which has always seemed to be just around the corner and we haven't been hitting it. But doing it with biology makes so much more sense. Yeah, I mean, apart from anything else, these uh, xenobots can just sort of fall apart when they finish doing the task they've been programmed to do, which is presumably better for the environment. Uh, I suppose not just better for the environment. It depends what you think the environment is. For half these things, we're wanting to send them into us. So you want things that can break down and be disposed of. Like, you don't want little bits of, uh, I don't know, the sort of heavy metals or plastic and things perhaps looking around inside your bloodstream. So they've got two advantages for virtue of being biological like this, is that one, they can heal, perhaps, which can be useful, so they can keep on doing their jobs, but also they can break down and just disappear, hopefully, anyway. And they're less than a millimetre long. Yeah, so far, I guess. Um, And we could say that they can perhaps scale this kind of thing up. They've been making these out of uh, cells, like skin cells and heart cells. The heart cell is the important one because it can kind of jerk around it's it's a muscle cell of a kind and therefore having muscle allows it to move um but they've been able to sort of configure them using these things called evolutionary algorithms it's sort of like designing the robot using the machine and helping the machines design things themselves uh but it means it can carry payloads and that's important for perhaps doing things like unclogging arteries or trying to deliver radioactive materials to cancer cells it's a way of kind of even even marking things up for our scanners yeah so because the, the, the point is that because they're heart cells, they spontaneously contract and relax. So it's like having something which has its own engine. Yeah, I guess the point of this being um, spontaneous, as you say, like heart cell rather than sort of the, the muscle cells that we might find in our biceps and our triceps and our amazing packs, um, is that they, they beat. <laughs> but it does it themselves. Like if you take a heart out of a body, it will keep pumping until it dies. Mm, and it, uh, says it has its own pacemaker. This has these cells have enough uh, fuel for them to survive for uh, between a week and ten days without uh, consuming anything because they don't have stomachs or any other organs. Um, they're just like a collection of cells with no brain and no anything. So they, I guess they get programmed to do their job and then they just keel over. Well, suppose so far, again, the thing is we might be able to make them a little bit more uh, responsive. You need something akin to a bit like a nervous system if you're going to have uh, the use of a complex senses. But even with this, you can perhaps have things moving along like a kind of gradient of, of hormones or something like that. I don't quite know how they're directing them. That'll be the, the real next step. They've got them moving around and doing useful things. Now, if they can direct that usefulness. Basically, if they can apply themselves, it's like every careers counsellor I've ever spoken to said to me. <laughs> I don't really understand how this works, though, right? So, so they've used this algorithm to come up with a hundred different generations of these uh, xenobots. So before they've actually made one in the lab, they've, they've already gone through multiple sort of evolutionary stages. Yeah, they're trying to sort of outsource trial and error to to machines and particularly this is really useful when you think of sort of 3d design which this is it's trying to sculpt cells um between a 500 and a thousand of them into a kind of uh, a 3d shape which is useful which is capable of moving which is capable of carrying stuff Mm. um and basically the supercomputer comes out with all the ones that don't work and then shows you the ones that do Mm. and then you build those ones in the lab so you're not wasting time building the ones that aren't going to work 
Yeah, this, this has happened before, actually. So we are getting a bit more and more towards sort of like synthetic organisms. There have been examples in the past where people have sort of redesigned genes and even redesigned some proteins and enzymes, which are now better than life. Like, I'm an evolutionary biologist. I love evolution. I think it's incredible. But we have to remember that it only does the least bad version, right? Evolution is only coming up with... Um, it's dealing with the historical legacy. All the mistakes that we've made in the past are kind of carried through. So we are riddled with errors. And so if you're going to have a design approach, you might be able to look at that as, as something which works, but you can still perfect it and make it better. Uh, this is perhaps trying something similar. Hmm. So we've got these super, super simple um, organisms at the moment that they've made, but they hope that they might be able to build bigger ones with uh, blood vessels and nervous systems and sensory cells and rudimentary eyes. Yeah, the question might become why, I suppose. Like one of the reasons why them even being small and tiny is fantastic is for the exact same reason why nanobots would be small and fantastic. You, you want a lot of these things sort of working at the scale of the human or the microbe, where they can go and do a lot of cool work in weird places like soil. Like one of the applications people have talked about this kind of future technology is sending these into areas with uh, like radioactive dust. So they can perhaps carry it off and accumulate in some place without any humans having to do that dirty work. Small is beautiful, as I'm sure you know, my tiny podcasting friend. Well, I've always been saying this. I'm glad somebody's acknowledging (laughs) it at last. So we could have an army of xenobots removing radioactive waste for us and, and things like that. Yeah, but when you call them an army of bots, it does sound more and more Schwarzenegger esque. You know, this is going to go full Terminator. Now, the other thing we need to discuss is what are our ethical responsibilities towards these new creatures that we're making? That tricky, um, because we are designing something a bit akin to life. I suppose while it can't replicate, people don't really care that much. And if we're really, really blunt, if it's small and tiny, people don't tend to notice. You know, it's the same way that we tend to care about the pretty animals and not the ugly ones. The same way we tend to pretend care about but scale. Um, we care about things that are big enough to notice. You pretty much need no ethical approval to do any studies on insects whatsoever. So this isn't life yet. If you could self-replicate, that's getting a little bit more tricky. We have to consider why we might want that kind of thing. If it's got a nervous system, then you're approaching something which might have a capacity to feel some kind of pain. If you had a complex nervous system, you're getting into kind of existential angst to the kind of human pain, where you're aware of your pain, which is the worst kind of thing. Well, we, we all know that, yeah. Um, okay, so, <laughs> so basically, because it's very tiny, we don't really care about it. Yeah, I, I suppose I'm saying people at large don't care. Biologists do. You do have to go through the sort of ethics approval for these things. These guys will have gone through, I don't know how much paperwork. Um, I can feel their existential pain about that. It's not bad yet. It's not something to automatically fear. It can only do good if we've got good applications for it. But anytime you're creating something which amounts to artificial life, it's worthwhile taking a moment, stopping thinking and thinking how do we do this right and how do we prepare these kind of ethical debates for the future Mm. it's not an issue yet but it will be but it's a step forward for um actually being able to control how something grows and how it works presumably yeah and, and so the application is probably the bit that matters this could well stop at the sort of human um, body scale where we've got something we can send in to do some work or maybe send into to sites but the same way people will be worried about things like say one of the genuine concerns of some forms of gm crops is 
is cross-pollination. If there was some way of, like, I don't know, a bacteria or a virus uh, gathering some of this information, could it spread into the wild? Um, it doesn't look like that so far. But again, who knows what's down the line. Can we add the fact that they're, they're cute? Yes, of course. <laughs> I mean, like, look at it. Like, it's worthwhile. And all, anybody out there is listening, seriously, go, go Google this. Have a little watch of this beautiful little blob just wandering along. <laughs> It'll make you think it's got a personality. If you like tardigrades, this is kind of the same kind of level of cute. <laughs> I knew we'd get around to tardigrades eventually. Do we classify this as a, as a, a, a living creature? Yeah, or it's a machine. machine. It's, it's a bit of a creature at the okay. very best, or, you know, or the very worst, depending on how you define it. It's a machine. It's a machine made up of biological bits. Nice. Okay. In other news, a, a team of Japanese scientists have managed to recreate uh, an archaea, which is which is very very difficult to do. Uh, yes, I suppose that the question is what is archaea is. Um, recreating anything this living is really really tough. Um, and actually, when you say recreating, it's more that they've they've been able to kind of find a thing in deep sea mud, which looks perhaps like one of our early, early ancestors. It's not our early, early ancestor in the same way that we're not descended from monkeys. We have a common ancestor with them. Um, but what we're looking at here is, is kind of getting a further understanding at the very point when we became complicated cells. Um, yeah, does this make sense? Are you with me so far? Well, I've done a bit of research on this, right, as a non-scientist, and I've I've managed to summarise what, what happened. So... The Earth is 4.5 billion years old. And for the first two... According to scientists... According to yeah, scientists... Well, ahead. yeah, uh, according to scientists. <laughs> so, I mean, who knows what, what, whether we're going to trust them. But for the first two billion years, nothing much happened. And then, and then uh, well, there was, there was bacteria and there was archaea, right? Yeah, so for a long time, we didn't even know that these were different kingdoms, is kind of what we'd call them. They're basically the two different versions of the really complicated stuff. The cool places we say archaea nowadays are mostly in, in extremophiles. They're living in those like boiling lakes and those acid swamps and the deep, deep, deep sea where there's next to no oxygen. But they're also a bit everywhere. But the places mm. where we really notice them are where they're surviving where nothing else can. And then at some point, uh, they they sort of joined together to create a new type of cell and those are called eukaryotes am i pronouncing that right uh you no, eukaryotes 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 and that's your first sophisticated cell right there yeah so what we're looking at is kind of the world's best supergroup. you know it's like crosby stills and nash or i don't know the, the changing roster the sugar babes to be a bit more even that's not contemporary now is it jeez no sugar babes is like a 20 year old reference <laughs> <laughs> There must be super Or pussycat dolls. Uh, I don't know who's still going and has a changing roster. Look, Simon, we've never tried to be hip or cool on this podcast. Let's not start now. Okay, well, well what it really is, is that there was a time that pretty much um, something that was very good at, you know, metabolizing, that's at using stuff and turning it into energy came along and it teamed up with one of these archaea. So if you look into our own cells, we can see a sort of legacy of this this beautiful mashup of this like Avengers Avengers that's a team up that's right. that's contemporary okay, yeah. now, we're, that. now we're on a, a nerd level everyone will be with us on okay in our own Avengers assembly what's happened was one of these archaea came along found a bacteria and rather than going nom 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 engulfing it and eating it up 
it, it kept a fair bit of it round because it was able to use things like oxygen in a different kind of way. And if you look at our cells nowadays, uh, one of the things we can find is, is our, our mitochondria, which are these little powerhouses of the cell. And they've got a double membrane around them, which is a legacy of this having been in, enveloped by the archaea. And we think even a fair few of our organelles, um, the bits inside our cells that do stuff, perhaps of a similar kind of origin, that we are um, all symbiotic. We're, we're a coalition. Each one of our cells is made up of all these different bits which decided to work together. And that's pretty much what the eukaryotes are. It's where the archaea and the bacteria kind of teamed up together. Right. So um, this is this is of particular importance because it's very difficult to do any research on archaea because you can't find them easily. And it's taken this team 12 years to dig this thing out of some mud. Um, yeah, well, when we say you can't find them, they're probably all over the place. They're hard to culture. So in the way that we can shove a bacteria into like a Petri dish, it doesn't seem to be you can do the exact same thing with archaea. I'm, I'm not hot on this. I have to say this was news to me whenever I started looking at it. I always assumed that they'd be just as simple, but it doesn't seem so. Right. But for the first time, we've managed to culture an elusive species of archaea. Yeah, and not everybody agrees on this is one of the interesting things. Not everybody thinks that this represents the sort of origins of the, the more complicated cell that we're seeing here. Um, but many people think this sort of engulfing creates things like the mitochondria. Or if you look at some plant cells, the, the chloroplasts, the stuff which use sunlight to create food, kind of do something similar. Um, we basically have a, a complicated architecture, a whole lot of scaffolding inside our cells that the bacteria and the archaea lack themselves. Hmm. So, so It's weird. We don't know exactly what the sort of uh, prospect for this research is, like what it's going to help us to understand, or do we? Yeah, well, there, there's another good analogy here, actually, because it says in this article, after several evolutionary steps, two organisms could have become one. So it's like the Spice Girls when two become one. That's contemporary <laughs> enough, isn't it? No. That's also still yeah. <laughs> like an ancient, ancient reference, they're, but it's fine. They're, they're coming back, Rachel. They're coming back. Yeah, well, they are back, uh, which is which is a good thing. It's, um, I mean, what do you mean it's a good thing? <laughs> there well, are pop stars never die anymore. I think that's a. Oh, geez, we just don't trust that. any new pop stars. So we have to go back to the old ones. Anyway, this isn't about pop stars. Oh yeah, because the eighties pop stars—they were all completely fine and kosher. <laughs> well, no, I'm not saying that. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Okay. <laughs> right. So, so uh, that's two bits of proper news. And then, um, and finally. Uh, ah, yes. Go on. You tell us your and finally story. Diego the sex tortoise has retired. Who is Diego the sex tortoise? Because I'm not aware of his work. <laughs> well, you, you kind of should be. This guy is a is a sort of weird hero. Um, you know the Galapagos tortoises, right? Yes. Yeah, so Darwin, when he went off to the Galapagos, and this is one of the places that helped shape the theory of evolution, he went and sat on a big, massive tortoise for a while. Um, you might know of Lonesome George, who died a while back. He was the last of his kind. And pretty much all the Galapagos Islands have their own little kind of variation on the Galapagos giant tortoises. And on the island of Española, it seemed to be that this this tortoise, this sort of subspecies or species, was on its way out. Um, it was going to die out. But there was another tortoise called Diego, who was in San Diego Zoo in 1976, hence the name. And he was flown back to one of the nearby islands to try and to try and mate with some of the females and hopefully bring this species back from the brink. And over 1,800 kids later, he's helped kind of... What? I don't know. Shag this species to safety, really. 1,800 kids? Oh, not 1,800. 800. Sorry, 800. did I say 1,800? I thought you did. Oh, that's still you... impressive, man. I mean, 800 kids <laughs> is loads as well, isn't it, really? Yeah. He's also believed to be over 100. Like, nobody knows for certain. But this this is like one rampant uh, tortoise, which has, has done its bit for its species. Yeah, it really has. And now, well, as a reward, it is now being retired. It's going back to the island and it's going to live its, out its day in peace. That's <laughs> nice. Oh, lovely. Good. Oh, you, you really question, if you're such a horny tortoise, what does, I don't know, what does retirement actually look like for you? Well, let's hope they've given him some companions for his retirement. Otherwise, <laughs> he's going to get very bored. Um... Good. What are we doing? Because we have some live dates coming up, don't we? Yeah, I suppose this is a bit strange for us, isn't it? We've just finished a a sort of residency at the Barbican in London, which has been fantastic because we got to record a whole ton of them kind of monthly for a while. Those will continue going out on the podcast, so look out for them. Um, We've been to Microdot. That's out already. We've been to Blue Dot. We're going to be going back to Microdot, hopefully to Blue Dot. We're definitely going to Latitude. What else is coming up, Rich? Well, specifically, if you're in Manchester, you can see us record uh, at Microdot Festival on the 13th of February. And we're also going to the Edinburgh Science Festival on the 15th of April. Fab. Anything else? Birmingham Arts and Science Festival is coming up as well. 
Uh, we don't have a date for that yet, but we'll let you know. And you can also support the podcast if you want to on uh, patreon.com slash Level up human. Yeah, and this is another one of those sort of slightly new takes that we're doing on the podcast. We know this isn't just sort of the, the Level Up Human podcast pure, but it's something a bit different. Um, it means we're kind of also hungry for you know for stories. So if you've got anything that you think we should be covering, get in touch. We're only having this chat really because it's something we thought was so exciting, and you might want to hear about it. Uh, you can send us a story uh, on Twitter. We're at Level Up Human. Uh, lovely. Well, I suppose we should say bye then, shouldn't we? Bye. Bye. That was Level Up Human. Hosted by Simon Watt, produced by Rachel Wheely, and supported by the Physiological Society. For more information, go to leveluphuman.com. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.